grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. God bless your worship as we gather together this epiphany season. We do so giving all glory and praise to our Lord because our Savior Jesus is truly the epiphany Lord. Our first lesson for this fifth Sunday after epiphany is found recorded in the book of Isaiah chapter 40 beginning at the 27th verse. Why do you speak, O Jacob, O Israel? Why do you say, my way is hidden from the Lord? And justice for me is ignored by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the eternal God. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired. He will not become weary. No one can find a limit to his understanding. He is the one who gives strength to the weak. And he increases the strength of those who lack power. Young men grow tired and become weary. Even strong men stumble and fall, but those who wait for the Lord will receive new strength. They will lift up their wings and soar like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not become tired. The word of the Lord. Our gospel reading, which will serve as the basis for our sermon, is found recorded in Mark chapter 1, beginning at the 29th verse. They left the synagogue and went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed, sick with the fever. With a fever, uh, without a delay, they told Jesus about her. He went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening, when the sun had set, the people kept bringing to him all who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. He healed many people who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. But he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Jesus got up early in the morning while it was still dark and went out. He withdrew to a solitary place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him, and when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He told them, let's go somewhere else to the neighboring villages so that I can preach there too. In fact, that is why I have come. Then they went throughout the whole region of Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, beginning at the 29th verse, I open with these words. These are the words of Jesus, who told his disciples, Let's go somewhere else, to the neighboring villages, so that I can preach there too. In fact, that is why I have come. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ and heirs of everlasting life, How do you get people to come to church? That's an age-old question that has been asked for centuries. How do you get people to come to church? 
Do you go and scream and holler at them? Well, I never found that to ever work. Do you go and threaten them? Oh, maybe you might get some results, but I doubt it. Maybe you got to figure out what they really want, and, and we need to do a survey and, and, and maybe read what the latest trends are, and, and maybe that'll help. And, and if we offer people what they want, maybe that'll get them to come. But I also have found over the years that what's new today is old tomorrow, and what's old tomorrow ends up becoming new today. So trying to figure out what people want when no two people are the same is nearly impossible. I had a professor at school, he said, if you tried to have a service that was going to please everyone, you probably would have to take the message of Jesus out of it in case someone would be offended. Or maybe to get people to come to church, we'll use guilt. Guilt will get some results. Guilt, guilt will get people to show up. Oh, maybe, and maybe for a short time. But will it be lasting, and will it be God-pleasing? Someone gave me years ago a picture of six people carrying a casket in the church, and the caption said, what is it going to take to get you to go to church? Oh, I was told you need to put that in the bulletin. That'll get people to come. And guilting people to come, once again, never works. Remember what the Apostle Paul wrote even about giving. He said, God loves a cheerful giver. Being a cheerful giver is not a guilty giver. And so it is with coming to church. So what do we do to get people to come to church? We can only do what Jesus has done. We invite, we encourage, we love. But above all, we point people to the one thing that they need. Not just giving people what they want, but really giving them what they need. And we all need a Savior. In fact, we need the kind of Savior in Jesus who is really an Epiphany Lord. Epiphany means to shine forth, and Jesus certainly shined forth in all his glory. He shined forth as the true Son of God. This is the Savior and the only Savior. There is no Savior or other Savior that is. He is the one who shined forth in all his glory. And this very one that did was the very one who went to church all the time, especially on the Sabbath. It was his habit. It was his practice. This is the very Son of God. And if the very Son of God is going to worship, obviously he sees how important it is. In fact, there's a whole commandment dedicated to public worship. The third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And so it was on a Sabbath up in Capernaum when Jesus was asked to preach. And when he did, the people were just awed that he preached with authority. There is all kinds of speculation of how that may have looked. But I'm one who's convinced that when he preached, he didn't preach as one who told people what they think God is saying and what I hope God is saying, but instead he would preach and tell people exactly what God was saying. He would use the Old Testament, and especially those Old Testament prophecies. He would use them, those prophecies that spoke of the Messiah, that spoke of the Savior to come. 
These were like fingerprints, and, and they matched Jesus perfectly. He constantly would make that connection with the people. And they were awed by his authority. Well, at the end of that worship service, Jesus ends up leaving and with James and John goes to the home of Simon and Andrew, the four disciples that we heard a couple weeks ago that he had chosen to be now full-time disciples. And with eight others, eventually, he's going to call them apostles. He comes to the home and finds out that Simon's mother-in-law is very sick. And yes, the Bible says mother-in-law. When doing a, a word search on this word in, in, in the lexicons and, and in the original language dictionaries, this is a word that cannot have other meanings. It has one meaning and one meaning only, mother-in-law. And because it says mother-in-law, it makes it very clear that Simon has a wife. We're even told by St. Paul in 1 Corinthians that many of the apostles, and we don't know how many were married, did travel with their wives. And it says Peter included. Peter was married. And so the philosophies of today that to push for permanent celibacy for religious leaders and ministers was never taught by the Lord. And in fact, what is taught by the Lord is that marriage is an institution of God as a blessing upon society. When one man and one woman is committed to live together for life. And of course, in Christ Jesus. His mother-in-law is very sick. We're told in another gospel that she had a very high fever. We do not know if it was high enough that this was considered terminal. But she was very, very sick. Jesus goes to her, lays her, his hand on her, and she, the fever goes away. And now we're told that she began to serve them. I'm wondering how many people may take those words as thinking that in this world of wokeness, that this sounds kind of chauvinistic, that Jesus um, ended up healing her so that she could serve him. I don't see that that's the case at all with these words. She getting up to serve him means that she was completely healed. When you have a fever, you know what the results always are. After Even after a fever breaks, you find yourself exhausted, tired. You find yourself even weak. You need to take time to recover. This is a woman that needed no time. When Jesus healed her, she got up immediately. There was no side effects to this healing. So when Jesus heals, he heals completely. So at the end of the Sabbath day, when the people started coming towards evening to his house where he was staying, many people were bringing diseases and were told that there were various diseases. There was no disease that Jesus couldn't handle. There was no disease that was too difficult for him. The diseases, I have to, have to understand that when these people came, they were totally and completely healed. No other results except total healing. 
No doctor can offer such a thing. Such a miracle, miracles show over and over again that this is the Son of God. Because only God can ever bring complete healing, and especially of a sickness. So when Jesus came and was, and was performing miracles, he didn't do it to show off that he was the Son of God. He always did it by helping and loving mankind and the people that were hurting and in need and were helpless. When I prayed to my Savior, I could do so with confidence that not only he hears my prayers, but he does answer them. He may not answer them the way I want, but he answers them in what I need and to his glory. And the ultimate glory is being with him in heaven which he won for me when he gave his life on the cross for the sins of the world. This is my Savior that I can pray to with confidence, knowing that he is one that has almighty power. And we certainly see that almighty power in how he dealt with the demons. Not only did we see miracles with the healing of various diseases, but also releasing people of demon possession. By the way, in the Old Testament, we hear very little about demon possession. Even after Jesus ascended back into heaven, we don't hear a lot about demon possessions. It's there, but not as often as you hear it when Jesus was there. Satan wasted no time to attack Jesus and sending in, in the evil horde and the evil uh, angels and, to attack Jesus and undermine his ministry. And here, Jesus would actually use these demon possessions for his glory and for his good as, as, as another way of proving to the people that he was one who preached with authority and that he truly was the Son of God, as he said and as was proven from the Old Testament. What is interesting here is he says that he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Oh, the demons would say, Jesus, we know you. You're the Son of God. Oh, Jesus, we know you. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And Jesus would silence them every time. Again, there's all kinds of speculations. But I've always understood that Jesus did not call demons to be his missionaries. Remember, even, even later, in his ministry, the religious leaders are going to be accusing him of speaking for Beelzebub. And, and they're going to accuse him that he's really bringing the teaching of Satan. Jesus did not associate with Satan or the demons at all. He would drive them out and he would silence them. Because even though they would speak a divine truth that he is the Son of God, he did not need their support and that evil coming from their lips. So it is not surprising that he did not allow them to speak. Yes, Satan is real. And the demons, demon possession is real. Do we always expect to see it in this world? Well, maybe not to the extent 
that it was at the time of Jesus. But I do know this, that wherever Jesus rules in the heart of a person, Satan cannot rule. All the more to be in God's word. All the more to take the heart of God's word. All the more to pray in the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, as we pray that Christ rules in more people's hearts and bring them to saving faith. Satan speaks the language of lies, but the Holy Word is the ultimate, absolute, divine truth. And the truth will always be a light that pierces through the darkness and will certainly silence Satan every time. Look at how Satan went up against Jesus. Jesus didn't just say, Satan, get away from me. He would always defeat Satan with his temptations opening with the words, it is written. And he would quote an Old Testament Bible passage. So the more you know God's word, the more you do not listen to Satan's lies and, and twisting and turning of God's word, the more we grow in God's word, and we can never, ever grow enough on this side of heaven. But grow in that holy word knowing that this word is the sword of the Spirit that not even Satan could stand up to. As the pastor who confirmed me once said in a sermon, Satan is mighty, but God is almighty. Jesus is our epiphany Lord. He is the one who has complete authority even over sicknesses and disease. He certainly has authority over Satan himself. And he also has authority over sin itself. Jesus went off to pray the next morning. He went off privately. The disciples didn't even know where he was. They were actually searching for him. We know in scriptures that Jesus did this more than once. And isn't it interesting that the very Son of God has to go off to pray? Prayer being a heart-to-heart -heart talk with God, prayer really being a fruit of faith and, and an exercise of our faith, and, 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 and with that believing heart, we pray that God hear our prayers but also answer our prayers, and he does. And here's the Lord Jesus, the very Son of God, who's also fully man, the Son of Man, praying all the more how important prayer is in our lives as well. Not only hearing and growing in God's Word, but using that Word of God as we reach out to our Heavenly Father with a believing heart. When the disciples finally found him, they said that there were more people that were looking for Jesus in order to heal them. But then Jesus said this instead. Let's go somewhere else, to the neighboring villages, so that I can preach there too. In fact, that, that is why I have come. Did Jesus not care about those people? No. Did Jesus not going to have time for those people? No. Jesus didn't come to set up a shop where everyone was going to keep coming to him from afar. Jesus did, as Jesus called all of us to do when it comes to making disciples. He went. Go. 
and he went and met people. But he did not come to be a savior who was simply a miracle worker. He came to be a savior who was going to preach. We're not told what he preached, but we do know what he preached. It's the same thing he always preaches. And it's always summed up in that one word. Repentance. Repent. It's not a word that we, we feel comfortable with, with. It's not a word that I would say most people really do not want to hear. If we're looking for ways to reach out to people because we're looking for ways to figure out what they want, you probably wouldn't start with the word repent. Repent means to be sorry for your sins. Well, then that means you have to admit you're a sinful human being who needs a Savior. You'd have to admit that I even, even inherited a sinful nature and I need a Savior to even pay for that. To, to, to hear the words repent and to look at the law like a mirror, it cuts the heart because I have fallen short of God's glory. But the word repent doesn't mean just be sorry for your sins. The heart of the word repent has the word faith. And that's faith in Jesus who paid for those sins. Yes, we are sinful human beings who need a Savior. And glory be that Jesus, our epiphany Lord, is that very Savior who not only paid for our sins, but he paid for the sins of the world. And we can say this with confidence, and we can say this with joy and comfort and hope, and we can say this knowing that we have peace because we have the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ alone. We know this because Jesus is, without a doubt, our epiphany Lord. He has authority over sicknesses. He has authority over Satan, and he has authority over sin. When he paid for the sins, our sins on the cross. So let's go back to the first question. How do you get people to come to church? We're not in the business of trying to get people to do anything. But we have been called to go and encourage and invite and love and share with all, the very Savior we ourselves can't live without. The Savior, Jesus, who is our Epiphany Lord. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemev l-u-t-h-e-r-a-n dot o-r-g. May God bless you today and every day.